We're going to give you some rules of the rich today. I'm Sandy Waters. Welcome to Seven Figures. All the information that you need to dominate your finances. Everybody has their own financial story, right? We all do. If you were to compile all of the stories from the most financially successful people, you will begin to notice a lot of similar chapters. And that's why I think it's so important to learn about everybody's history. So it becomes obvious the chapters that you need to adapt in your own financial life story so you too can have a happy ending. So let's uncover some of these common themes, these rules of the rich that you can follow. First, I want to say thank you to our very good friends at Family First Credit Union for sponsoring the Seven Figures podcast, local financial products and services designed with you in mind to help you and your family save and spend smarter. Okay, we cash in today with expert Paula Pant, founder of AffordAnything.com. She has her own podcast called Afford Anything, writer and speaker specializing in money, business, and real estate investing. You may recognize her name from some of the articles that she's been featured in, including Forbes, Fortune, Money.com, Kiplinger. She's also contributed to several financial websites like MSN Money, Huffington Post, and she is the budgeting and personal finance expert for About.com. <laughs> That's not even all of it. Yes, Paula, you are definitely our expert today. We are so grateful to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. When do you have time to do all of that, by the way? <laughs> well, I have been doing this for us. Uh, seven years now. So I've I've spread it out across a long period of time. Okay, so now your whole platform, yeah, you can afford anything, but just not everything. How did you get to this point? Did you have a lot of money conversations with your parents growing up? Were they, did you grow up in an affluent house or? We never discussed money growing up, not a word. Uh, We were an immigrant family. Um, I was born in Kathmandu, Nepal, and I came to the United States with my parents uh, when I was still in diapers. And so we never talked about money, but from my observations, you know, I saw my parents, uh, they were in an, an unusual situation because they came to the United States when they were in their 40s, late 30s, early 40s. Okay. And um, as a result, they had a very compressed time frame. They had to, you know, go to graduate school, get their first apartment, get their first car, you know, all of those things that people tend to do at the beginning of their lives, the experiences that people tend to have in their early 20s. They had to do that in their early 40s with a child while simultaneously also preparing for a retirement that was only 20, 25 years away. Um, and so in order for them to be able to pull that off, they had to be ex- extremely diligent about how they manage their money. They were very, very frugal. And so even though we never talked about money, I saw the I saw them living the example of frugality in their day-to-day lives. Okay. So you observed a lot what was and I think it is so important in in for parents out there who are listening, it is so important to set a good example for your kids because they are watching you and learning and building the relationship with money based on your relationship with money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, uh, from my mom, my mom was a, a diligent saver. She was the person who knew that milk was cheaper at one store, but bread was cheaper at the other store and bananas were cheaper at the third store. So she knew exactly, you know, she would spend her whole day going from store to store to store, mm. chasing the coupons and chasing the deals and, and all of that. 
And then my dad would always read books about retirement planning. So for myself, because we had those books laying around, um, I probably starting at around the age of 10 or 11, I got really into retirement planning too because, you know, I was like, well, um, I need to start young. So would this be rules of the rich number one, I guess we could say, is the key to frugality, living beneath your means? Well, I would, I would express it a little bit differently because the thing about frugality um, is that you can never shrink your way to greatness. So frugality is a necessary first step, okay. but it is only the first step. The way that I like to express it is really that what's important is growing the gap between what you earn and what you spend. Okay. And there are two ways to grow this gap. You can either earn more or spend less or some combination thereof. Um, but the reason that I don't like to express it as frugality per se is because then it becomes tempting to think, well, I only make $25,000 per year, but if I live on an income of 22000 then I'll be okay. I mean, sure, that's true if your definition of okay is that you can pay all your bills and you won't go into credit card debt. Um, absolutely. You know, it's certainly better to live below your means than above it. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, if you spend your time uh, tripping over dollars to pick up dimes, you are only shortchanging yourself. And you are also shortchanging the world of, of your potential. So I think there's a lot of uh, importance thinking big and growing um, as well. Just widening that gap. So having, exactly. having that end goal in mind, though, and then maybe being a little bit more frugal to get there faster? I, I do think that you need to have a why that motivates you. Because if your motivation is simply to save money, but you don't actually have a purpose or a value behind it, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to do it. It's, you're probably just not going to stick with it, because why would you? Whereas when you have a powerful incentive, let's say that you, um, you really want to go travel the world for a year or you really want to become a full-time stay-at-home parent for at least for six months or for one year, you know, when you have that type of um, motivation, it makes the trade-offs worth it. That is a common theme with everybody who's financially successful. They say the same thing. Have this why. Um, exactly. So you can you can work towards it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's very much why my theme is that you can afford anything but not everything. There are so many people who disempower themselves by saying, "Oh, I would love to do X or Y or Z, but I can't afford it," uh, and they don't recognize that all of the other decisions they're making in their lives have an opportunity cost. Everything else that they're spending money on comes with that trade off, and so. When you recognize that those trade-offs exist and when you have a very powerful why and you, you decide that such and such is important to me, it makes those other trade-offs um, more worthwhile. Now, can you so, explain the difference between being frugal and being cheap? So frugal is looking for a good value in a way that aligns with your own values. Being cheap is... Uh, pinching pennies at either the expense of others Mm. or at the expense of your integrity. So one example of this, um, for me personally, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to share this value, Mm -hmm. but for me personally, uh, I am a believer in um, if you are going to eat uh, meat or fish or eggs, I I personally believe in eating cage-free eggs or uh, free-range meats. Okay. Um, and those are more 
expensive, but they align with my values and they help me stay in integrity with the type of person that I want to be. Uh, and so even though they're not the cheapest cuts of meat on the market, um, to me, buying because buying that is aligned with my values, mm-hmm. I do not think that that in any way conflicts with being a frugal person. In fact, I think that being frugal is being able to say, yes, I'm going to pay extra for this because this reflects the person who I am. Okay, and there's that give and take, too, you're referring to. Everything that you mm-hmm. spend your money on, just prioritize, is this really worth it? Is this really aligning with my values? Exactly. Now, what do you say to people who feel stuck right now? They're overwhelmed by their bills, and they understand what you're saying about the why, but they just don't know how to turn their finances around. Is there somewhere they can start? Sure. The three biggest spending categories that the majority of Americans have are housing, transportation, and food. Okay. And so I think that, you know, I think it's a mistake. A lot of other people in the world of personal finance focus on the small discretionary purchases. You know, they'll focus on clothing or shoes or this and that or the other, but those are really, you know, incidental when, when compared to lowering your housing costs by $500 a month by, if you have to, selling your home because you bought too much home, you bought more home than you could afford. So selling out of this home that is, uh, you know, drowning you and moving into a smaller home. That's not the type of a piece of advice that most people give because that's a big move. But if you want big results, you have to make big moves. And sometimes that means quite literally moving or taking in a roommate or Airbnb being a room in your home or going from two cars down to one car uh, or taking public transportation more or, um, you know, making those really big dramatic changes to your lifestyle that will move the needle a lot faster and a lot further. Okay, now let's move on to rules of the rich number two, another common thread between financially successful people, not the Mm. I can't way of thinking, but the I can way of thinking. Exactly. So I often tell people, instead of saying I can't, ask the question, how can I? Mm, Okay. And get creative and recognize that the things that society tells you are important are not necessarily the things that you yourself need or want. That's tough, though, isn't it? There's so much influence out there, especially with Instagram and and social media, Facebook and Pinterest. I think sometimes it's hard to be quiet enough to recognize your own inner voice. Mm. Um, And that's something that comes from a lot of journaling, reflection, time, you know, spending some time alone, um, just awareness of what makes you come alive. If you start tapping into yourself and you realize that the Times when you feel the most joy are maybe when you're going hiking. Um, But then you recognize also that the amount of money that it costs for you to go hiking is almost nothing. Uh, Well, boom, then there we've we've got a solution. We've got something to work with, right? I think the problem that a lot of people have is that they, they fall into these social scripts of, oh, well, I'm 35 Therefore, I, quote, unquote, should not live with roommates anymore because I'm too old for that. Ah, yeah. Even even though they really enjoy it, maybe you're like, maybe you're an extreme extrovert and you love being around other people. You love the camaraderie and the companionship, um, but you have this idea that because you are of a certain age, you are too old for it. Uh, well, that's what society says, but that's not necessarily what's right for you. 
You know, another example is weddings. You know, maybe you're the type of person who you want to be married, but you don't necessarily want to spend $10,000 on some big, expensive one-day party. Um, society says you should, but they're not the ones who have to pay the bill. It's it, Don't live other people's lives. Live your own. Exactly. Your, and man, your website, affordanything.com, there's so much great information there. Um, something that caught my eye, though, when I was looking through it is your thoughts about retirement. Um, and you suggest to take mini retirements. Can you explain this a little bit more? Because I think I'm going to need <laughs> to have to reevaluate <laughs> my own strategy here. What is your idea about these mini retirements? Well, mini retirements are actually one of four different types of retirements that a person can have. Okay. And so... Um, Example number one is a traditional retirement. It's the thing that most people think about when they hear the word retirement, which is that you work until you're 62 or 65 or 67, and then you stop working. Yeah. So it's, it's a very binary concept. You're either working or you're not, and that tipping point, that cutoff point, is age-based. Okay. Um, that's the traditional model. And if you really think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems very arbitrary, very one-size-fits-all. Then there's three other models for retirement as well. There's early retirement, which takes the same template as traditional retirement and simply moves the age point. So it's the same um, binary, you're either working or you're not template. It just moves that retirement date from the age of 65 to the age of 55 or 45 or in extreme early retirement, 35, right? Mm -hmm. But then there are two other models as well. One is called semi-retirement, in which you are constantly at this state of kind of working, kind of not. So you might decide to spend um, the rest of your life working part-time or maybe working seasonally, you know, where you alternate um, periods of intense work with periods of part-time work. That is living in a state of semi-retirement, a permanent state of semi-retirement. Uh, and then the other example is mini-retirement. And that is when you alternate periods of hard work with periods of doing nothing. And the analogy that I like to use is uh, it's like sprinting. You sprint really fast and then you rest and then you sprint and then you rest. So what are you doing um, with if you're sprinting, then what do you do with that job while you're resting? So you need a the specific type of job that would lend itself to a mini retirement model. Uh, so okay. it might be that you work seasonally, for example. Let's say that you're a ski instructor. Okay. You work very, very hard during ski season, but then you've got your summers off. That's an ideal type of job for a mini retirement lifestyle. And actually, so, so the premise of your question really is, you know, a, a lot of people try to, uh, a lot of people say my job won't let me. Yeah. But that, I think, confuses the cause and effect. What you have to do is decide what you want your lifestyle to be first and then find the jobs that are suitable for that. Okay, your why again. It goes back to mm -hmm. full circle. Determine yeah, what your why exactly. is, what your goal is. And everybody, retirement dollar amount is different for everybody. You know, some people need exactly. a lot so they can travel the world like they want and other people don't really need that much when they retire. So you can live off of, you know, minimal. Absolutely. Paula Pant, affordanything.com. And uh, you can check out her podcast. Afford Anything is the, the name of her podcast. And we appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on.
All right, we end the podcast like we do every week. We bring in my dad. My dad, when I was growing up, always had wise words, financial nuggets of wisdom that I'm going to pass on to you right now. It's Father Knows Best, my dad's two cents. Have a great weekend. Dominate your finances. Americans now spend more than $100 billion a year on fast food. And a study by Bankrate.com found that when people use charge cards to pay, they end up spending an average of about 50% more than when they pay cash. So next time you go out for fast food, leave your credit cards at home. It will be easier on your wallet and your waistline.